please turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9. Yeah, you can stay. Or you want to stay? stay. (laughs) Isaiah chapter 9, we looked forward the last three weeks to the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Now we look back to Isaiah to hear these words of prophecy regarding the Incarnation. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray. Fathers, we hear from your word now, from your prophet Isaiah. Would you speak into our hearts? Would you show us the truth that is in Jesus that is contained therein? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you've ever read the book, or perhaps many of you are familiar with the the movie series that has come out, J.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings, in the third installment of that trilogy, the return of the king, you may recall that Tolkien does an exceptional job of contrasting darkness and light. In Tolkien's fictional world of Middle-earth, there is darkness rising in the east, symbolizing the evil power of the dark lord Sauron, who wants the one ring of power that was forged long ago in Mount Doom. And it's the burden of the fellowship of the ring, the the mighty warriors, the traveling companions on mission to destroy that ring and to keep it out of the hands of the dark lord Sauron. For if he ever gets his hand on the one ring of power, the world would be in ruin and darkness and evil would win. The story goes on and on and on, and more and more of the world of Middle-earth gets darker and darker. 
and darker. All hope seems lost. Even the one ring itself describes the impending doom with the inscription on it that says, one ring to rule them all, one ring to find them, one ring to bring them all, and in the darkness, bind them. It is a very dark picture, and this, in a sense, it's the background of Isaiah 8 and 9. It's the background of much of Isaiah's day and age, the prophet who was called to speak into the lives of Israel and to Judah, the nations. There is darkness over Israel and Judah, and this darkness has great power over them. The people of God and the surrounding nations are described here in verse 2 as walking in darkness. We read just a few chapters of Isaiah, and we see that there are very dark things like materialism, idolatry, sensuality, alcoholism, syncretism, cult prostitution, child sacrifice, just to name some of the ungodliness and the unrighteousness, the darkness that is shadowing God's people. Just one chapter four in Isaiah chapter eight, we read that the people, instead of looking to the Lord their God for hope and for meaning and for purpose, they were looking to spiritual mediums. They were talking, looking to those who talk to the dead for, for hope and a meeting instead of inquiring of God. This was indeed a very dark time in Israel. And it was getting darker and darker. The world was lying in darkness. The people are walking in darkness, is how Isaiah describes it. And so you read this depressing state and you cry out, as Isaiah did, How long, O Lord? How long is the cry of Isaiah? How long will the Darkness cast its shadow over God's people, because when all seems lost, when the darkness appears that it's going to win, we read, a light begins to dawn. Look at verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them light shone. A light has shone. A great light is beginning to shine in Israel and on God's people. But what is this light? What hope is there rising out of the darkness? And so Isaiah prophesizes that a king will come who will be the light breaking into the darkness. This king will actually be a child, a son, the mighty God. And here we have, in Isaiah, as Calvin once said, this promise, this promise of a child, this promise that is supposed to arouse in us this future event, this future joy, this light that would come, this light that would come not from our world, this light that would come from outside our world. It's a light from another world. Jesus has brought this light by the incarnation. 
And so I ask you this evening, have you ever truly considered what Christmas means? Have you ever truly considered what it means that this light has shone in the darkness? Have you pondered the implications of the incarnation, of God becoming flesh, of God being born? Have you truly ever thought of that? This is the truth that confronts us at Christmas. The world would have you believe that Christmas is a time of secular fun for all, but, but that is to miss the point of Christmas. That is to miss the point, the very fact that God became man. And so there's at least three things this evening that we can consider about the incarnation that are worth us pondering from Isaiah's prophecy here. And so we're going to look at what does the incarnation say about light? Peace and joy. In Isaiah's prophecy about the incarnation, there is light, there is peace, there is joy. The incarnation has brought light. Light means many things in the Bible, but it at least means in Isaiah that the promised one, the holy child to be born, the one that Isaiah prophesies about, that he is light. He is light penetrating the darkness, the light that provides the way for salvation from sin and darkness. So I think the big question for us to consider this evening, do you believe in the darkness? Do you believe that there's actually darkness? It's not hard for us to look at the world around us and see that they're suffering, there is persecution, there, there are bad things happen, there's, there's evil in the world. But Christmas causes us to look even further and deeper at the darkness. And the scriptures confront us with an even more daunting question. Do you believe there's darkness in you? Do you? Do you believe that there's darkness in your own heart? Because Christmas is not going to mean very much to you until you see that your heart is darkened by sin. And only the light of a Savior who has been born can overcome that darkness. We need, what we need most is a powerful light, a mighty God, a, a wonderful counselor who will shed light into our hearts and on our world, and reveal what we truly need most, and that is salvation from sin and freedom from the power of the darkness. This is why Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So will you follow Jesus? Do you believe that he is the, the light Shining into the darkness, shining into our hearts. But secondly, the incarnation has brought not only light, but peace. Peace. Maybe Isaiah did not fully understand when he prophesied that this, that all the things that this child would do. 
and, and how he would become the Savior. But he knew that he was talking about the promised Messiah. And what he would do would tell us a great deal about why he came and what we need the most. And so the incarnation has brought peace. Peace. But what kind of peace are we talking about here? What kind of peace are we longing for here? The, the child who would be born, the son who would be given, would be called among many things the Prince of Peace. And of the peace that he will bring, Isaiah says, there will be no end. No end. Isaiah says that this peace will increase, it will grow. It will expand. It will never end. It will go on forever and ever and ever. Can you imagine a peace like that? To know this peace and to understand the need for this peace, we need to look deeper and further at the problem. We have to go beyond just asking for peace on earth. Ultimately, what we need, what is needed is peace between God and and man. And so since the fall of mankind, since Adam's failure to obey God and to keep the covenant with God, there's, there's enmity between God and man. There's no peace because of sin. And so the burden of Isaiah is, what's going to happen? How is this peace going to come? And there he says in verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and he will be the prince of peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. He will usher in a peace greater than we could ever imagine, a peace that never ends. Again, Christmas is not going to mean very much to you. So you see that apart from the incarnation, that there can be no peace between God and man. The holiness and justice of God against sin must be satisfied. There is no peace apart from the wrath of God being satisfied because of sin. So how will this peace be brokered? How will it come? Isaiah says, only through a Savior, only through a promised child. Do you not know that your heart will be restless? It will be without peace until you find it in a Savior, the Prince of Peace. And that's what the incarnation has brought. That's what Christmas means. There is Peace with God. This is the good news that the angels announced on Christmas Day to the shepherds. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those whom he is pleased. What, what a happy Christmas message. Isn't that worth singing? Don't we sing that? God and sinner reconciled. Peace. Peace has been brokered. Because a Savior has come, the Prince of Peace. There's this wonderful gift of peace that is 
offered to us in the Christmas message. And to accept this Christmas gift, you have to believe the truth that you are a sinner and that Jesus, the light of the world, he experienced the hell of separation from God in order to bring us peace. He's the prince of peace. Christmas has brought peace. But finally, the incarnation has taught us here in Isaiah that the incarnation has brought joy. Joy. If there's one word that I would use, if you made me use one word to describe Christmas, that would be the word. Joy. We see it all over the place right now. It's on Christmas cards. It's on many signs and many markers. We see the words that simply say joy or rejoice, be happy, be glad. The incarnation, God becoming flesh, the baby Jesus lying in the manger, it cannot and it should not leave us unmoved. There is joy unleashed at Christmas time that is unlike any other joy and happiness that we experience any other time of year. Isaiah states in verse 3, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you with joy at the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Talking about the joy, the happiness, the peace that God will bring. God's salvation brings joy. Christmas is joyous. The the child brings joy because he is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. And no other religion, no other religion that we could search and we could find makes this amazing claim that the creator of the cosmos became a man was born a real human being. Not just some type of God, but really God. Born and lying in a manger. God who had come to save us. And so the gospel brings joy. But there's someone else. There's someone else who is even more excited about this Christmas joy than we are. There's someone else who loves Christmas more than we do. And that is the Lord God. Look at verse 7. In verses 6 and 7, he talks about this child who would be born, the son who would be given, and what he would come to do. And at the very end of verse 7, how is all this going to happen? The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God's amazing love for believers is so wonderful, so inconceivable, that he is overcome with joy to save his people. John Calvin stated that God is inflamed with an uncommon and extraordinary desire to promote salvation in his church. God is overcome with joy at the incarnation. Is that not wonderful? 
Is that not the best news you've ever heard? That God is more excited about salvation than you are. He cannot wait to bring this Christmas message and to fill us with joy. Christmas does that. It gives us joy. This is the wonder of Christmas. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, who is God himself, who has come to to save us. Did you catch those words in verse 6? For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. Jesus has come to us. He's come for you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that he's come for you? And maybe the question to consider this evening is, do you know Jesus? If you don't know him, he is the light of the world. He is the light that can shine into your heart. Just peer over into the the manger scene and ponder this child and then come and worship. Come, let us adore him. He is Christ the Lord. So Merry Christmas. God has come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these words from long ago from Isaiah that give us these wonderful promises that to us a child is born. To us a son is given. The peace that he has ushered in surpasses all understanding. We thank you for the Lord Jesus. That he was born and he had the prospect of dying before him all of his life. It was the joy that was set before him. And thank you for the joy that he gives us as a result. Help us to worship him. Help us to praise him. Help us to adore him, we pray in Christ's name.